Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And so for us, we have in our lives the as he said, the as he had spoken, the God has spoken to him and we become sort of like Isaac, the newborn described in this place, but also in 1 Peter 1.23, where it describes you and I, and it says, being born again, we were born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So a key word in that verse in 1 Peter 1.23 is the word by, through, where we were born again by or through the word of God. See, in the creation, God looked on the waters, which there was no life in the waters. Remember, after the waters were created, there was no life. And then God said in Genesis 1.20, and the Lord said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, nephesh is the word, and the fowl fly above the earth and so forth. And then in verse 24 of Genesis 1, it said, and God said, let the earth bring forth the living, nephesh, creature, after his kind, cattle and creepers and so forth. So in the creation, in essence, God was saying in these verses, let there be life. See, that was like what God was doing here. He was saying, let there be, everything was let there be. Well, in these verses also, it's like God is saying, let there be life. And that's the nature of God. That's who he is. Just like he did in creation, when he sees a person who cries out to him in their deadness, in their death, Then, he again looks down, he says, life for that person. Let there be life, eternal life. And that's what God loves to do. God loves to do that. That's the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ said about himself in John 11, 25, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, doesn't matter, yet shall he live. That's right, Bill, you got it. And John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, the life, I'm the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. Then we read this statement in verse 2. Sarah conceived and buried him a son in his old age at the set time. That's interesting. At the set time of which God has spoken to him. That's very interesting. You know, that's the second time in the Bible that we've read that term, at the set time. The first time was when God made the promise in the first place in Genesis 17, 2, that Isaac was going to be born. In 17.21, Genesis 17.21, where it said, But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time, he said, at this set time in the next year. So before Isaac was ever born, he said he was going to establish his covenant with Isaac, and God said to them, Sarah is going to bear Isaac at this set time in the next year. So God had come to Abraham a year before, 
before Isaac was born, and then God said to Abraham, okay, Abraham, mark this day on your calendar. <laughs> so get out your day planner and mark this day a year from now because exactly one year to the date, this exact date, God said, Isaac's going to be born. That's the set time. And he was born on exactly that date, as God referred to in our passage here, verse 2, the set time. So when God uses that phrase, the set time, it shows us how important this date was to God. When God uses the term, the set time, it makes us think of the other set times that were important to God, that God had on his calendar as important times. There was the set time of our birth, each one of us, the set time of our birth. That's an important date for God. When we entered into the world, when we started on our trip through God's museum called the world, and that was important when he began the teaching process of every person as they entered into his earth, his world, and God begins to teach them, and God begins to draw them to himself. And then we travel through life, and we become more and more aware that we are out of sorts with God. We're alienated from God. We're sinful. And we see the exhibitions of death, and we become more and more aware that the wages for our sin gets a little personal, is death. And we become frightened by death. And God saw us in our fear, and he sent by different ways his gospel to save us from our sins. Those were important set times important times that God presented his gospel to us. And as a matter of fact, there have been many set times when the gospel was presented, and all those were very important set times for God. And so many times that it was so important for God when the gospel was presented to his Jewish people that which each of those set times God wanted to gather the Jewish people from the danger, and he spoke of all those set times to the Jewish people with the word how often in Matthew 23, 37, when he addressed the city, and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. Those are their set times. How often would I have gathered thee, gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Each one of those times was when Jehovah Jesus was stretching out his arms to the Jewish people, and he's saying the words, in essence, of Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And what happens to be that verse just happens to be the favorite verse of my Jewish atheist friend. That's what he calls himself, a Jewish atheist, Al Rodbell. And so every time the Lord Jesus Christ stretches out his arms and gives this invitation, that's the set times. And that's the last invitation in the Bible that's given to anyone who's thirsty and wants to drink. And the last invitation of Revelation twenty-two seventeen is, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. And every time he makes that invitation, that's an important set time by God. And we can see that God looking at his calendar saying, here's another important set time for the gospel invitation. And that was the time when he stood in the temple in John 7, 37. It says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. In John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me, never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. 
And every one of those is an important set time. And we have them in our lives. And why are they important set times? Because that's a time for man to come to those crossroads once again where he has to make a decision, receive or reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive or reject God's invitation to be saved. And then the other important set time is the time when all the invitations stop, when all the opportunities stop, when all the chances to be saved stop. And that's called the set time or the appointed time in Hebrews 9.27 where it says, and as it is appointed or set unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. See, that's the time that's appointed for every man to die. And then there's another appointed time in Acts 17.31 after that because it says, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. And he explained in John 5.22, the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. And so that's the important day, the set time. So it reminds us, when we read this here in, in Genesis, God is very punctual in his time. But he promises what will happen at a certain time, and it's not our set time, it's his set time, which is the best time. Now, we cannot read this phrase in verse 2 at the set time with thinking of the very important time when the set time was called in Galatians 4.4, the fullness of time. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. See, that's the fullness of time. That's an important set time when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. When what happened was John 1.14, the word was made flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that leads us into thinking of the similarities between the birth of Isaac in our chapter and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, both births were announced long before they happened. For Isaac, we read in Genesis 17, 19, God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear a son, indeed, thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I'll establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his seed after him. For the Lord Jesus Christ, similar words were spoken in Genesis 3.15 where it describes, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his, his heel. See, there's going to be the seed of the woman that's coming. It's announced. There were set times of their births that were fixed by God. See, Isaac, it says, as we said in Genesis 18.10, he said, I'll certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it. And then it says in Genesis 17, 21, as we saw, my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah will bear to you at this set time in next year. For the Lord Jesus Christ in Genesis 49:10, at the last words of Jacob, when he is giving his final blessing, his final words to his son Judah, he says in Genesis 49:10, the scepter is not going to depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. See, that was a set time he was describing. There was a set time for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ in Daniel 9.26, where it says, After threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off or killed, not for himself. And then of both of them, both of their births, it was against nature. It was against nature. We already saw that. For Isaac, Abraham thought it's impossible. He laughed at the thought of Sarah having a baby. And says in Genesis 17, 17, Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that's 100 years old and shall Sarah that's 90 years old bear? 
And Sarah also thought it was impossible, and she laughed at the thought of having a baby, as we read in Genesis 18, 12. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? So it was a big laughing matter. As a matter of fact, that's why God says we'll just uh, memorialize that with his name. (laughs) We'll call him laughter. We'll call him laughter, laughter. That'll be the baby's name. Anyway, and for the Lord Jesus Christ was against nature also from Isaiah 7, 14, where it says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And in both cases, God named the sons to the fathers before they were born. We saw that for Isaac in Genesis 17, 19. God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And we also see that in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 1, 21, where it says, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, that was the command of God to the father Abraham and to Joseph. That was the command. And they obeyed. And they both obeyed. Both the fathers obeyed. And it's about Isaac. It says in our next verse, Genesis 21, 3, and Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And for the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 1, 25, and he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn, and he called his name Jesus. Both sons brought a great joy to their fathers. For Isaac, we read the verse already in verse 8, Genesis 21, 8, and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Seems strange, you know, everybody's waiting around for the baby to stop breastfeeding, and they have a big party, I don't know. I don't think he had any problem with self-esteem. Anyway, and then the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Matthew 3, 16 through 17, Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, both the sons obeyed their fathers unto death. See, in Isaac, when we come sometime, no promises when, to the next chapter, in Genesis 22, 2, we read this verse, and he said, as God speaking now to Abraham, take thou thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. See, and then we read, and so Abraham, he, he alone has this within his mind that he's going to offer his son. He's going to be obedient to God and he's going to offer his son. He doesn't discuss this with anyone. He doesn't discuss this with Isaac. He doesn't discuss this with his servants. He for sure doesn't discuss this with Sarah. Otherwise, there may have been some other offering take place. But, <laughs> but uh, he's got it all alone in his mind. I mean, Abraham, he's a, my son. And as the way God said it, I know is your son. I know is your only son. I know you love him. And I'm telling you to offer him. So he's got this in his mind. And he starts off, as we know, early in the morning. And the thing that's so interesting is Abraham with his son Isaac, the relationship that's brought out for us in that chapter. And we read in Genesis 22, 7 through 10, and Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, my father... And he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb 
for a burnt offering. And this really puts Abraham on the spot. And it says, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And so they went both of them together. And they came to the place that God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. See, as Abraham and his son, Isaac, they're walking along together. Abraham doesn't even know at first where they're going. He says, I'll tell you of the mountain. But now they're heading up to Mount Moriah. He knows now. And Isaac begins to wonder, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And so Isaac, who is walking with his father who loved him, this tremendous relationship between them, the son Isaac looks into the eyes of Abraham, his father, who never had lied to him, and who he has this tremendous mutual love for each other. And he's looking into the eyes of this loving father, and he asks him this all-searching question that Abraham knows the answer to. And he says, Father, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And when Abraham, you can imagine all the emotion of a loving father towards his son, he doesn't just, oh, don't worry about it. He doesn't say that. He looks at him, and he says to Isaac, don't worry, God will provide a burnt offering. So that kind of an answer is not comforting for Isaac. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be done, but I mean, Isaac now begins to suspect that maybe he's the burnt offering, you know? So when Isaac asks this question, and he's carrying the wood, because it says in verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. So here he's carrying the wood, And he asked Abraham, his father, this question. And so with the answer that Abraham gives to Isaac, he begins to wonder, maybe this wood that I'm carrying on my back is going to be a bed for me to lie on that's going to be a bed of fire. And then with the next phrase, the next verse in verse 9, Genesis 22, 9 and 10, it says, and they came to the place which God had told him of, And Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay him. So now Isaac, you know, he sees Abraham taking the wood and he sees him building the altar to burn the sacrifice. And Isaac sees Abraham get the rope and approach Isaac. And at that moment, there's no question in Isaac's mind. Isaac knew he was the sacrifice. And at that moment, when Isaac, at that moment, he yields himself to be bound. What he suspected is true is true. He yields himself. He's a strong man, Isaac. Abraham's an old man. Could have very easily overpowered him. But he yields himself to be laid on the altar. In other words, he's carrying out. Isaac is carrying out his decision that he'd already made to become the willing sacrifice. And especially, he sees the knife and the sun glitter in his eyes. And next, he's expecting to feel the blade. And he's going to become the sacrifice. But the question is, when did Isaac make his decision to become the willing sacrifice? And the answer is found in very important words at the end of Genesis 22.8, where it says, and Abraham said, my son, God himself will provide a lamb for a burnt offering. And this phrase, so they went both of them together. See, the last word, the last word in that verse is the word yechad. It reads, Shanayim Yachdav, the two together. 
And so it's the same word, yachad, is the same word that's used in Psalm 133.1, where, you know, the behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's a song, you know, yachad, same word in Psalm 133.1. Yachad, it's translated together there, and what it means is a togetherness of agreement. It's a hine matovu manachaim shevet achim gam yachad. It means the brethren are they're dwelling together and they're in agreement, and so that's why it's so good and so pleasant. It's exactly the same word that's used in Genesis twenty-two eight, where Isaac, with the emotion in Abraham's eyes and Abraham's answer, being he begins to understand with that answer, he's the burnt offering. And so when it says at the end of Genesis twenty-two eight, this word yachad. Yachad, it's saying they were both in perfect agreement. Abraham and Isaac were in perfect agreement. The two were in agreement that Isaac was Yachad agreement with Abraham that Isaac should be the sacrifice. And it was Isaac with Abraham and for Isaac to be the sacrifice. That's what it is. Yachad in this verse expresses that Isaac was the willing sacrifice. He was in agreement to be the sacrifice. And therefore, that's the most important word, Yachad, in really in all the Bible, you could say, because it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as being the willing sacrifice, as being Yachad or in agreement with God the Father to be the willing sacrifice. Because Yachad is related to the word Echad, they both really have this meaning encapsulated in it of an agreement together. So this explains the most profound meaning of the chief prayer among the Jewish people, which is the Shema of Deuteronomy 6.4, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And what that last word is in the Deuteronomy 6.4 is the prayer, is the word echad. So it's the yechad link of Genesis 22.8 with the echad, of Deuteronomy 6.4 that explains the essential meaning of Deuteronomy 6.4, that every member of the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, especially God the Son, was in an echad agreement that God the Son should be the sacrifice unto death, that he should be obedient unto death. And it takes the yechad of Genesis 22.8 to show us the real meaning of the Shema of Deuteronomy 6.4, that the Lord Jesus Christ, as God the Son, was willing to be obedient to God the Father unto death. And that's the meaning behind Psalm 47 through 8 when it says, when he says, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it's written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. When God the Son was asked by God the Father, go to earth, be obedient unto death. He says the words of Hebrews 10.7. Then I said, lo, I come to do thy will. See, and that's why when we read in Isaiah 53.10 and 12, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. You make his soul an offering for sin. He poured out his life, his soul. He poured out his soul unto death and bare the sin of many. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. As Moses, in John 3, 14 through 16, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. And like Isaac, the Lord Jesus Christ was obedient to the Father unto death. And that's what's being spoken of in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, when it says, 
that he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was 33 years old. Isaac, as the Lord was, 33 as well. So we see in Isaac a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who agreed to be the willing sacrifice and die for our sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you, O God, for our precious Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the great agreement that there was between all of you, precious Lord Jesus, God the Father, Holy Spirit, that the Lord Jesus should come and be obedient to the Father unto death. Thank you for doing this for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711 330 Santee, California. That's S A N T E E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051.